Well, good morning again. I'd like to welcome those who might be joining us online today. Now, I had the privilege of growing up within walking distance of the Climber River Canyon. Now, in my youth, back in my day all those years ago, we did not have computers. We did not have cell phones. We did not have those things that people use today to just while away the hours. We spent our time outdoors. And I was what you would call an avid fisherman. And I learned how to fish by going down to the river, striking up conversations with the, the older gentleman down there, the seasoned veteran fisherman. And I would just sit and watch what they did. I watched what they did when they caught fish, I, so I would know how to get the success that they had. I learned by watching others. Now, there were a lot of total strangers down there on that riverbank. They were all willing to share the knowledge that they had, the techniques that they used, and they shared their tackle with me. That stuff's not cheap. They shared this with a kid that they didn't even know. I learned from them, and I caught a lot of fish over the years out of that canyon. What I learned and what I found the most success with was to use a bait that looks absolutely natural. Now, if you fast forward a few years, a lot of years, I now have adult children and even with my busy work schedule and all that stuff adulthood requires, I still try to find time to go fishing once in a while, at least a couple of times a year. It is so peaceful just to walk down into that canyon and just watch the river go by. You get to spend time just talking with God and enjoying all that he has created. But then, one glorious day it did happen. It's the day that all outdoorsmen kind of fear. And it's a conversation that none of us avid outdoorsmen want to have. My wife, Susan, asked me to teach her how to fish. And of course, being the avid outdoorsman that I am, I jumped at the opportunity to say, absolutely not. It, but there's a reason. Uh, I mean, I knew I wouldn't really have the patience. And the other side of that is I fish down in the canyon. It's really hard to get in and out of that. She didn't want to go where I was fishing, and I didn't know how to fish where she wanted to fish. But... We did go down. We bought her a brand new rod, a brand new reel. I taught her how to tie some basic knots, and I told her to do what I did. Go down to that river and just talk with the old timers and have them teach you everything they know. She ran with this. She got to know all the regulars, and before long, she was actually bringing home more fish than I was. I would see her van parked beside the river as I'm coming home from work, and I'd get out and I'd walk down and there she is sitting there. She's got her fishing buddies all around and they're just sitting there talking fishing, talking techniques. They're just having a blast. Now, the biggest difference between our fishing styles was presentation. I always tried to mimic nature. I wanted to drift a bait by these fish that looked absolutely natural and like it belonged in that river. Now, if Kevin can show this, this is what Susan uses. <laughs> Look at these things. They're purple. 
they're green and yellow and there's those silly little wings on them that make them spin and they're reflective and it looks like nothing that you're going to find in nature and especially not in my river. Yes, that's my river. Now, when I asked her why she picked that particular like of lure, type of lure, her answer kind of surprised me, and she could probably say it better than I. What was it you told me? She actually told me that the girl fish would look at that and say, wow, that looks good. I don't know why she didn't want to catch any of the boy fish, but you know, that's... So, but it's hard to argue with the results. And we have one of those girl fish above our fireplace, up on the mantle, one that she caught. But why? Why, or what would tempt the fish to go after something that looks like that? And I know, I get it, fish are not really complex thinkers, but they do have a survival instinct. Do the colors and the flashiness excite them? Do they bite out of hunger or looking at those, they probably bite out of self-defense. And I wish I knew the answer, but I do know that they are tempted and they are enticed to go after these unnatural things. And that is often to their detriment. Now I said that fish are not really complex thinkers, but are we really any different? How often do we pursue things that are not in our best interest? How often do we consume unhealthy foods? How often do we find ourselves pursuing unhealthy relationships? How often do we find ourselves chasing things and lifestyles that are not at all congruent with the will of God? How often are we tempted by the lures and the flashy things of this world? The book of James has something to say about this. I was really happy to hear, we, don't, we didn't really coordinate it, but uh, Asa, talked out of the book of James last week, and by coincidence, we picked different topics, <laughs> luckily. But the Quest Bible has a brief introduction before each book, before each, uh, before each book. And if you're looking for a practical way to live as a Christian, this is what this one says, you've come to the right book. James shows that it's possible, possible to believe the right things, yet live the wrong way. This book will also show you how to turn right doctrine into right living. So what does James say? In chapter 1, verse 13 through 18, James writes, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, for every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Now, there is a lot of information here, and at least for me, the three main takeaways I got from these verses. James is telling us the source of temptation. He's talking about where it comes from and kind of who's to blame. He tells us the seduction of temptation how it works, 
and what it leads to. And he also tells us the solution to temptation and that it only comes from God. Now, I saw temptation defined as the intentional enticement of a person by some bait, usually pride, always self-gratifying, to disobey God's revealed word. The predicate may be demonic or fleshly, but the object is always the distortion of God's world and the defiance of God's mission in the world. And from a biblical standpoint, I think this sums it up pretty accurately. And we can read about the first temptation in the book of Genesis. The devil, in the form of a serpent, tempted Adam and Eve. They fell for the lie. They fell for the flattery. They knew God's will, and they were led astray. They were led straight into the trap of death and loss. The rest of the Bible unfurls the redemptive plan of God in Christ. We all face temptation. It is inevitable. James says, when tempted, not if tempted. 1 John 2.16 states, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. There are all kinds of temptations. They are everywhere. There are the little things and there are the big things. Things that, if you succumb to them, they'll whittle away at your self-esteem. There are other things, if you give in to that temptation, will lead to broken relationships, broken families, and ruined lives. I think it's easy to see how temptation can lead you away from the good life that God has set for you. And we don't get to choose in a world that's free of temptations. And it's easy to point the finger of blame and try to absolve ourselves from our decisions. But we can't just blame the world around us because there's always that gap. There's always a gap between the stimulus and the response. In that gap, I am faced with a choice. Adam and Eve made a choice. We all make a choice. Why does James say in verse 16, do not be deceived? Because we get deceived. We get tempted. And we can try to put the blame everywhere else, but there's one thing for sure. It's not God who's tempting us. We, well, and just don't say something ridiculous like, oh, that's just the way God made me. I have heard that so many times. It's not inevitable that because I had a rough day at the office that I get to go home and drink away my sorrows. But God made the beer. I've heard that too. No, God made you. But he's not making you do anything. Who's responsible? I am. We are. We make choices. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. 
But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. No, temptation is not from God. Adrian Rogers, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that guy, but uh, he's a fairly well-known pastor. He said, God will test us, but God will not tempt us. God tests us to make us stand. Satan tempts us to make us fall. I will tell you that God will test you. God will try you. God will place a mountain before you. When you pass that test, when you get through that trial, when you climb victoriously to the top of that mountain, you will be stronger for it. You will be stronger in faith, you will be stronger as a person, and you will be stronger in your ability to achieve God's will for your life. Temptation is not from God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Temptation is from the devil. Again, look at what James says. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And the devil just smiles every time. That is the source of temptation. Temptation follows our own natural desires for disobedience. From the beginning, temptation always promises, excitement, and fulfillment. It never comes along saying, would you like to destroy yourself and your family? Would you like to disgrace the name of God? No. It comes along with an enticement. It says something along the lines of, you deserve this. You should have this now. This will be so exciting. It will be fun. It will be comforting. It will make you feel better make you happy, successful. And the other one is, no one ever has to know. It's lies. Where does temptation begin? Temptation does not begin outside of us. The temptation begins within us. If you did not have that internal desire, then the external temptation would not interest you in the least bit. Temptation always starts in the mind, not in your external circumstances. It doesn't begin in your situations in life. The force of temptation is that it dwells within our hearts. This is not an outside enemy, but one that lives within us. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 7, verse 21 through 23. For from within... Out of men's hearts comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. The very things that you think will promise freedom can trap you. The very things that you thought would bring happiness, the things that you thought would bring you excitement, the things that you thought would make you feel more alive, they'll lead to death in the end. And what does that death look like? 
It's the death of trust. It's the death of relationships. It's the death of self-respect. It's the death of your reputation. And in the end, when we physically die, if you have not come into the spiritual rebirth through Jesus Christ, where does that leave you? Ponder that one for a moment. And we are not alone in this struggle. There are several examples in the Bible with different actions, different choices, different outcomes. And I'm losing my place. And I've already mentioned the temptation of Adam and Eve. And we know how that turned out. But there's other examples as well. The story of Joseph. It's also in the book of Genesis. It's another example. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he ended up in Egypt. He worked for a prominent official named Potiphar. Potiphar's wife repeatedly tried to seduce Joseph, but he refused her advances. One day she grabbed his cloak, and he fled. He left his cloak behind. She then accused him of trying to seduce her, and he was thrown into prison on false accusations. This story teaches that temptation can come from really unexpected places and in ways in ways and things that are just unexpected sources. It also shows us that sometimes the best course of action, just drop everything and run. David, the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, was also faced with temptation. His temptation came in the form of Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. David saw Bathsheba bathing on a rooftop and was overcome with desire for her. He then sent for her, slept with her, and then in an attempt to cover it up, had her husband sent to the front lines of battle where it was inevitable that he would be killed. There's a lot to learn from this one. And from this account, we learn that temptation can lead to bad choices. Bad choices can lead to sin, and that sin always has consequences. It also shows us the importance of accountability and the dangers of giving into our desires. David's sin not only reflected, uh, affected him, but it affected Uriah, and it affected Bathsheba as well. David's actions led to the death of Uriah, and Bathsheba was left without a husband. David faced the consequences for his actions as well as God punished him by taking the life of the child that was conceived from his affair with Bathsheba. This story just shows that it is so important to resist temptation and be accountable for our actions and our decisions and our choices because the consequences of sin, they can be far-reaching and very long-lasting. Uh, Judas Iscariot is another example out of the Bible. He was one of Jesus' disciples, and he was faced with the temptation to betray Jesus. In the book of Matthew, Judas went to the chief priests and offered to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He then led the soldiers to Jesus, where he identified him with a kiss. This story teaches us that even those who are close to Jesus can fall into temptation. It also shows us the dangers of greed and the consequences of betraying those that we love. 
Judas was motivated by his desire for money, and he betrayed Jesus for a small sum. It kind of reminds us that we must be careful not to let our desire and our greed lead us down a path of sin and destruction. But of all the examples in the Bible, I think probably the most notable, the most notable example is the temptation that Jesus faced. In the book of Matthew, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The devil tempted Jesus three times, asking him to turn stones into bread, to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple, and to worship him in exchange for all the kingdoms of the world. In each instant, Jesus responded to scripture, showing us that the word of God can be a very powerful weapon against temptation. This story also teaches us that even Jesus faced temptations, but he overcame them through his obedience to God and his use of scripture. Jesus was able to resist the devil's temptation because he had a deep understanding of the scripture and the power of God's word. Now, Susan doesn't go fishing much anymore, but I still dig through her tackle box from time to time. I run low on supplies sometimes, hooks and things, and I just rummage through her stuff, and I still push those glittery, ugly-looking, unnatural baits to the side. I don't use those. I never will. <laughs> I, I still struggle with the concept of those techniques that she uses. That kind of old school. I don't get it. But the fish sees the glittery bait, and it lures him toward it, thinking that it's going to get a meal. Instead, it gets hooked, and it gets carried away. When he or she is going to become a meal itself. The temptation to sin is much like that. We think that sin's going to satisfy us. It's going to give us something good that we think we're missing. But just, just look at this thing. I, I still struggle with looking at it. But with all this tempting color and all this glitter and shininess, right here, at this end, I just poke myself with it, it's an incredibly sharp hook. This hook will dig in. This barb on the hook is going to hold it secure. This hook will drag us to destruction. I got to put this away before I get hurt. So I'm going to kind of close this up with this. And this is from Billy Graham. And I think he puts all this into perspective quite nicely. I mean, he's Billy Graham. Temptation, what he writes, temptation is exactly the same for us as it was for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And Satan also tempts us in the same way that he tempted Jesus. Through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, Satan's attempt failed. It's not a sin to be tempted, for everyone is tempted. The devil tempts but he cannot but he can tempt you only so far as God permits and God always provides a way to escape the sin is in yielding to temptation instead instead of seeking God's power to escape 
When you face temptation, follow Jesus' example. Satan will say, for a moment's bowing of your head to me, the money, the fame, the business, the success, and the power will be yours. But do what Jesus did. Jesus didn't argue with Satan. Jesus didn't debate him. Jesus didn't rationalize. Instead, he replied, it is written. Jesus responded to the enemy's temptation with a simple but strong truth of God's word. Scripture. Do the same today in all ways. The Bible tells us to be on the alert, for Satan is always looking for a way to trap us. Sin lies at the, at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. How do you rule over it? By keeping our eye on the Lord Jesus Christ. By keeping our hearts free from the things that can lead to temptation, don't be trapped, but tap into the power that God grants to those whose hearts are bent toward him. Now, set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Billy Graham just has a way with words, I think. The source of temptation. It's in our hearts. It's internal. The seduction of temptation. It's sometimes easy to convince yourself that it's fun. It's exciting. It will make you successful. It can also be a trap. The solution, solution to temptation the source and the seduction have everything to do with sin, self, and Satan. The solution is to have a deep understanding of the scriptures, as Jesus did, and to seek a personal relationship with your Lord and Savior. And are you ready to take that all-important first step? If you don't know Jesus and the redemptive power of his blood and his salvation, he offers this for free. Don't hesitate to ask. Ask me. Ask anybody here. We can tell you about the Lord. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us a roadmap. A roadmap to navigate through this world. Lord, as we go out this week into this world, help us to be mindful of your word. And the examples put forth as we face the temptations help us to make the right choices. The choices that will bring glory to your name. For it is in that name that we pray. Amen.